Judges chapter 20. While you're turning there, let me uh, uh, make mention to you. Um, there are people, as a, as a pastor, as a minister, through the years, there are people who just uh, become a, a part of your life, a part of your family, a part of the fabric of everything that you do. And for many years, Betty Roberts was that to me um, here in our church. Um, for years, we did a white Christmas service here on Sunday evenings, uh, on a Sunday evening before Christmas. And um, Betty would organize that, and there would be uh, just this, this altar would be filled with, with gifts and with, with toys and clothes and things for children in our community. Hundreds of children in our community knew what it was to receive a Christmas gift because of her work and her effort. And uh, for many years before there was a benevolence center uh, here in Piedmont, Betty was the benevolence center. Um, she handled all of our needs through our church. She kept records of everything. And I've heard her give some people some stern talking to about their lifestyle and why they were in need. But she always prayed with them. Uh, Betty's memorial service will be here this Wednesday at 2 in the sanctuary. So you be praying uh, for Arlene and all the family um, and, and support them during this time. Uh, Judges chapter 20. Verses, uh, we're going to read verses 24 through 28, and then we will dive into this last sermon in our series on prayer and fasting. Today we're praying and fasting for victory, and beginning in verse number 24, the people of Israel came near against the people of Benjamin the second day, and Benjamin went against them out of, out of Gibeah the second day and destroyed 18,000 men of the people of Israel. All these were men who drew the sword. Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, ministered before it in those days, saying, Shall we go out once more to battle against our brothers, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will give them into your hand. So as we get to this point here in the book of Judges, Israel, the, the nation of Israel has lost 40,000 men in two days battling the tribe of Benjamin. So the Israelites go and they cry out to God for help, and in verse number 26, it says that the people sat weeping before the Lord, and they fasted until evening. And the next day, the Lord gave them victory over the Benjaminites. Now, there's a backstory to all this. It would take me another sermon to do the backstory. So um, if you would go sometime when you have time, go back and read from Judges 18 up to this point. There's a, there's a graphic story about how all this happened, but it comes down to this. Israel was disobedient of the Lord, and God has uh, taken them, and they're, they are far away from him, and finally he brings them to a place of humility. Now, we know that they had been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. They were freed. Moses took them. Then they wandered in the wilderness for another 40 years before 
Moses passed away, Joshua took them over into the land of Canaan that had been promised to Abraham generations before. They went in, they conquered this land, they're serving the Lord, and then they become disobedient. They become to fight among themselves, and then we will see that they uh, become a conquered people. But we see this morning, and I'm going to promise you that I'm, I'm trying to do something this morning that's unusual for me. I'm going to try to do a short sermon. And everybody said, Amen. Because I want to get to the heart of praying this morning. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful for the, the men who went with me to the Johnny Hunt Men Conference this weekend because they actually heard somebody who preaches longer than I do. And uh, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to talk to them all afterwards and say, Now, do you see, I don't really preach that long. So, but that's, uh, that's okay. But let's get into our points this morning. And, 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 and get into the heart of the story here. The people consecrate themselves through prayer and fasting in verse number 26. What does that word consecrate mean? It means that they seriously and sacredly, they devoted and dedicated themselves to a purpose. They, they have come to a point to where they know that there's no other answer, there's no other hope for them other than the intervening hand of God and so now they consecrate themselves. They set themselves aside. They begin to mourn and to weep and to pray and to fast. And they, they say to the Lord, we are setting ourselves aside for your service. And, and we are getting serious about this situation. They mourn. They offer sacrifice and they fast and they pray. You know why? They're tired of getting beat. They've been out on the battlefield for two days and they have been beaten by a group of people that they outnumber. Now, Mike and I are going to disagree on a point here real quick. Um, I heard yesterday that it was Charles Stanley who said um, that every battle he ever won, he won on his knees before the Lord. Now, I want you to think about that. Uh, at the same time, uh, Johnny Hilton was saying that, he quoted Adrian Rogers and Charles Stanley at the same time. But here's what, here's, here's what I want you to get. Johnny Hunt is 65 years old. This morning at his church, he will preach to about 10,000 people. He's 65 years old. He will preach to 10,000 people on his campus, and five other churches will hear him through satellite campuses uh, that they broadcast that ministry into. So probably somewhere around 15 to 20,000 people he'll preach to this morning. 65 years old. He was president of the Southern Baptist Convention for three years in a row, the, and, and, and here's what he said to us yesterday. At 65, he still needs a mentor. He still needs somebody who pours into him every day or, or, or on a peri uh, periodically that he meets with and, and meets with him and pours into his life. You know who that 65-year-old looks to? He looks to 85-year-old Charles Stanley. And they meet together about once every month, once every six weeks, and Charles Stanley prays over him and pours into him and, and helps mentor him at 65 years old. Now, how many of you, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have a mentor, somebody that pours into you and somebody who, who you meet with who, who works with you that way? It's, some, I know that many of you are in relationships where you mentor other people. But Charles Stanley told Johnny Hunt this very early on when he began this relationship with him. You're going in the work that you're doing in the church that you're, that you're in and where God has called you to, to be, 
you're going to face some battles that no other man will ever face. And you're going to have to face those battles. The only way to win those battles is to be on your knees before God every day. So the people here in Israel, they've gotten tired of being defeated. So now they're, they're, they're on their knees before God. And here's what they realize. God brought them into this land of Canaan to be a witness to all the neighboring nations of God's power. God had delivered them from the most powerful nation, the most powerful army on all of the earth in Egypt. He'd freed them for the, from, from them. He had brought them into this land of Canaan, and it was through his divine sovereignty that he, they occupy a land. They go in and conquer a land where other people are already there entrenched. So God's power and his sovereignty are displayed to these people and their whole purpose in life is to reflect, to be a reflection of God's righteousness. Now, the whole book of Judges, if you read it through, if you're a student of the Bible and you've read the book of Judges, you know that the Lord's response to them and how they're living is he's not pleased with them because he set them among the other nations to be an example of the, to the other nations of how powerful and how righteous he is. But what have they done? Instead of doing that, they have become like the other nations. They have taken on the, the characteristics of the other nations, the idol worship of the other nations, and Joshua has died. He's been dead for one generation, and those who had participated in this conquest now have drifted away completely from God. Now, how long is a generation? In the Bible, a generation is 40 years. That's, the, that's what, what we know to be a generation in the Bible. Now, now in our lives, because our lifespans are so much shorter than the people who are here that we're looking at, a generation in our lifetime is about 25 years. Every 25 years is a new generation. So I got to thinking about that as I'm writing this and looking at this. I have been a Christian now. I was saved in the first week of April, 1994. So this year, I will have been a Christian for 26 years. I've been a Christian for one generation, what we consider one generation in, 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 in modern times. And here's what I see. I see, I remember sitting under preaching during that first year of, my, of being a Christian and hearing pastors say from the pulpit, this is what they would say, we're about one generation away from losing our young people. We're about one generation away from losing the leadership of men in our churches. We're about one generation away from this. Well, I'm one generation removed now, and I've seen, those, I've seen the impact of those things in, in our churches. I've seen us drift to the point in, in the church in America to where we are like this nation of Israel here, we look a whole, we are much more of a reflection of society and the world than we are of what I remember growing up in the church. And God was not pleased with this nation here, and I don't think he's pleased with what he sees today. So here's what they did. All the people went up. Not only the warriors went up, but all the other people went up. And here's what we're doing. Um, it was not... As we get to the, uh, the end here today, I'm asking everyone to pray. I'm not just asking our ministry team to pray. I'm not just asking our deacons to pray. I'm asking every single person here to join in praying over specific things 
for the next 21 days. These people, says, they wept and sat before the Lord. They finally came to their senses, and they've been humbled before the Lord because of the great sin that they have. And they realize that they can't make it without the hand, the divine hand of God. Now I want to give you some advice this morning. Pull in. Wake up. Pull in. Don't wait on God to humble you. You hear me? Don't wait on God to humble you. Live your life in humility before God because the, the hardest thing you may go through as a Christian is for you to get away from God, for you to drift from God, and for God to have to humble you to bring you back to your senses to get back to where you need to be with God. Now, why are you saying that? I'm speaking from experience. I'm speaking from experience. One of the, the, some of the hardest things that I've ever had to go through were drifting, getting on a path of drifting and God having to reach out and grab me by the back of the neck and pull me back in and humble me and bring me to a place of repentance in my life. So they weep. They go before the Lord and they weep. And they fasted that day until the evening. They fasted probably a Jewish fast from 6 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon. They're completely repentant over what they've done. And they, they may have fasted before, but they're much more serious about it this time. They offer burnt offerings before the Lord. Now, I want you to think about this. This many people come before the Lord, and they have to bring burnt offerings before the Lord. It's called atonement. They have to atone for their sins. They have to give an account for their sins, and they have to atone for those sins through making a sacrifice. Now, tonight, while y'all are all sitting after church tonight, while y'all are all sitting watching the Super Bowl, I'll be writing about a 500-word 500, 500 essay on the atonement. That sounds fun, doesn't it? That's my seminary classwork for today. I've got to write a 500-word I keep saying page. I'm scared to death. 500-word essay on the atonement. So I've got to write about how they took, they went from, a, we went from a, a system of taking bulls and rams and, uh, and unblemished things before the Lord and burning them on an altar until Jesus came and made the atonement for us one time for all time. Now, they, they, they do this because they've been neglecting this practice. They haven't been before the Lord. They haven't been saying, we've sinned and we need to atone for this sin. And then they bring peace offerings. They bring peace offerings because of this. They've, they've lost 40,000 people in two days. But guess what? They're thanking God because God could have allowed all of them to have been killed. And so they're, they're saying to God, we want to make peace with you today. We've seen 40,000 people die. We don't want to see another 40,000 die tomorrow. So we want to make peace with you, God. We want to thank you that you haven't done, that you didn't take more. And so we want to thank you for that. And here's what they do. They give thanks for the victory that they're sure that they're now going to attain. Now, what do you give thanks for? I asked this question Wednesday night during our prayer time. What do you give thanks for? And it was amazing to listen to people and what they give thanks for. They give thanks for their salvation. They give thanks for their family. They give thanks for their church. They give thanks for the job that they have. They give thanks for the help that they have. These people suddenly realize that God is on their side. 
they suddenly realize, hey, God chose us a long time ago. We haven't been living for him, but he is on our side. And because he's on our side, the victory is imminent. Jesus told his disciples this. He said, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. What? I have overcome the world. No matter what you're living in or no matter what you're living through, Jesus has overcome the world. So the people here consecrate themselves through prayer and fasting, and then the people ask God for his specific plan and blessing. Now, it takes these people losing 40,000 warriors to finally say this. Here's basically what they say. Hey, God, what was it you wanted us to do? What, what is it? Hey, we went out here with our plan, and 40,000 people died. Hey, hey, God, what is it you want us to do? All of a sudden, it dawns on them that they can ask God his plan. Now, I want you to think about this. Israel outnumbers the tribe of Benjamin 400,000 warriors to 26,000 warriors. Now, those are pretty good odds if you're going into battle, right? If you've got 400,000 and they've got 26,000, you ought to win. But they go out without God's plan, and here's what they don't know. The tribe of Benjamin has a secret weapon. I give you a dollar if you can tell me what that secret weapon was. They have, they have this secret weapon. They have 700 men who are left-handed. Now, in this crowd this morning, how many people are left-handed? Raise your hand. The strange people. I'm just kidding. I, I remember being in school with the left-handed people, and the teachers always, they, 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 you had to have a, you, you, there were no special desks for left-handed people, and it was hard on them. I'd watch them struggle. Grace is left-handed, and um, I, I've never been able to read anything he wrote. But here's the deal. They have 700 people who are left-handed. Now, what does that mean? Israel is going to battle against a group of people who have a strategy to defeat them with these left-handed people. Read back in earlier in this chapter. Here's what the Bible says about those 700 men. They could take a sling left-handed, and they could hit a hair at a distance and never miss it. So they cross Israel up. As Israel goes out to, to fight them, they're, not look, they're all looking this way, and here come all these stones at them from the, from the left hand. And they're just slaughtering them like crazy. No, Michael, what's that got to do with us? This is 6,000 years ago. In the Old Testament, what's that got to do with us? The devil's left-handed. I got your attention, didn't I? I got, no. I'm going to tell you that here's what I mean. The devil has a left-handed plan for you. The devil has a left-handed plan for every one of you in this room. He has a plan to kill, steal, and destroy you in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Some way. And you're looking over here and you think, and you're going out to battle without God's plan. And the devil's got a plan over here that you're not even thinking about and you don't even know about. And he comes from the blind side 
and he takes you out. You with me? There ain't a one of you sitting here it can't happen to. Not a one of you. The devil has a specific plan for each one of your life to come at you from a, di- from a direction you're not looking for and to take you out and to take you out of the battle. The Benjaminites have 700 left-handed men, and because of that, because of their skill with their sling, they kill 40,000 people in two days. Now let me ask you this. How many times have you set out on your own only to look back and say, as you're, as you're losing and as you're being defeated, how many times have you got out and said, God, what is it that you wanted me to do? Or how is it that you wanted me to do this? I've got way out ahead of you. I've gone out into the battle, and I'm being defeated. I'm getting knocked down every time I turn around. And God, now I want, I, I want you to do it. You know what the hardest prayer to pray? The hardest prayer to pray in all the prayers that we pray is the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus said, not my will but yours. You see, I have a plan. I have, I, have a, I have a way that I want to do things. And so many times God will put a barrier up in front of me and I'll keep hitting that wall and hitting that wall and hitting that wall until I finally, it, it rings in my head after I've got two or three concu- spiritual concussions and I say, Lord, obviously I'm going about this uh, the way that, a way that you don't want me to. Show me your will, God, and let's do it your way. So that's what's happened here. Now, if Israel, if you go back to chapter number 18, if Israel would have sought God a couple of chapters earlier, they wouldn't have been misled into going into battle, and 40,000 men would still be alive. But in verse number 27, the people of Israel inquire of the Lord because the Ark of the Covenant was there. Now, if you know your biblical history, and you know that the Ark of the Covenant, any time that the, the nation of Israel brings the Ark of the Covenant out to the battlefield, what are they? They're undefeated. They never lose with the presence because it represents the presence of God among them. Now, these people had not sought to be where God is. They have the opportunity to come into his presence, but the writer of this account makes it a point to show that the nation has been away from the presence of God for some time. In other words, it's been a long time since they stopped and prayed. It's been a long time since these people have stopped and prayed. A man said these words this morning in the, in the men's meeting that I went to. He said this. He said, you know what the first step in backsliding is? Is not praying. The first step in backsliding is when we stop praying. The first, sign, the, first, the first thing that we do when we start drifting away from God is we stop praying, we become prayerless, and then we become defeated. Now, they have a, they have a minister here named Phineas. When I say Phineas, what do y'all think of? Phineas and Ferb. I know this age group. But Phineas goes before the Ark of the Covenant on behalf of the nation, and he ministers and he asks God, he asked him this question. He says, God, shall we go out once more to battle against our brothers, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease going to battle? Now, they've repented 
and they've grown in confidence that the Lord is going to grant them victory. You see, they had great sin in their life, but they repented, and now they know God's going to give them victory. One of the first verses I ever memorized when I became a Christian was 1 John 1, 9. Because I knew that I wasn't perfect, and I knew that, that at some point in my Christian journey, at some point in my life, I was, going to, I, I was going to mess up, and I was going to sin, and I was going to need to, to talk to God about it. And 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's great to know. And here's uh, the reflection of what John says to us about our relationship with Jesus. We see it here in these people in Israel going back and confessing their sins and knowing that they're going to win the victory. Now, here's the point. The people trust God's plan. The Lord says to them, he answers Phineas this way, Go up, for tomorrow I will give them into your hand. God gives them a plan, and the next day they go out and they ambush these people with a, with a one of, read it, it's a great military strategy. They go out and they ambush these people and they win. Today's Super Bowl Sunday. It reminds me of this. Last year, it's the Super Bowl, uh, Patriots and the Falcons. Now, I know I'm speaking to a lot of Falcons fans here, so I don't want to upset anybody. But how, how, what was the deficit there in the third quarter? 28-3. 25-point deficit in the third quarter. Patri the, the, the Falcons go up. They're 25 points ahead, and everybody in Atlanta is ready to hoist the trophy up and to celebrate. At 28 to 3, I sent Grayson a text, and I said, Grayson, you are about to witness the greatest comeback in the history of the Super Bowl. Am I lying? No. Prophetic vision. And as, and because here's what I knew Falcons have a good quarterback, Falcons have a good coach. But what do the Patriots have? Who said that? Patriots have Tom Brady. The Patriots have the greatest quarterback of all time, and they have the greatest coach of all time. They've got Belichick and Brady. And here's what I knew. I looked at the television, and I watched them there on the sidelines, and they're just as calm as they can be. They're just looking at each other, and they're looking at the, you know, all these X's and O's, and they're squaring these things up. And I'm thinking, they're about to come back. This is going to be interesting to see. That's the, last, that's the last pro football game I've watched all the way through. But it was something to see. They come back, and the final score was what? In overtime. Trivia, 34-28. Now, here's what, here's what the whole, I don't know how many people are on a Super Bowl roster. But here's what the offensive line, the defensive line, the receivers, here what, here's what everybody knew. We have a plan. And that plan, in our plan, we have Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, and we can't be beat. And we're going to win. Now, Michael, 
What, is, what does that football game have to do with this? God has a plan. God had a plan before the foundations of the earth were ever put in place. God had a plan. How many, how many battles have you lost in life? How many battles have you lost in life? I've lost a lot. But you know what? Here's what I know is I'm going to be victorious. You know how I know that? Because God's on my side. The devil has a plan. The devil may be ahead on the scoreboard here. It may look like he's ahead. But guess, who, guess who's on my sideline? God. God the Father. And he had a plan for me. He had a plan. He has a plan for my life. He had a plan for each and every one of us. And that plan is laid out so well in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. This is what the Lord, this is what Paul says about, about God's plan. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That was God's plan. God's plan all along. You see, these people here in this story in Judges chapter 20, they had to bring, uh, I don't know how many bulls and how many goats and how many rams they had to lay out as sacrifices that day to, to make atonement for their sins, but it was a whole bunch. And it was laborious, and it was intense, and it was hard, and it was a struggle. And they, it depended upon them doing the work of going and getting those things bringing them before God, and, and allowing someone to burn them in a certain way. But God had a plan that was so much better. God had a plan that was he had in place that was so much better. And Paul says here that that plan was, was that Jesus Christ was going to a cross and that he was going to die as a sacrifice, a perfect sinless substitute. How many times? One time. And what did I have to do with it? Did, what work did I have to do? There was nothing I did. There was nothing I could do. Jesus did the work. Jesus did everything. It was God's plan, God the Father's plan for God the Son to come to this earth, live a sinless life, live a victorious life, to go to a cross, to suffer and die, and to be buried for three days, and then to rise alive and to be seen by over 500 people alive. That was God's plan. Now, I can't hardly talk this morning. I made a doctor a promise back the first week of December. I looked at a cardiologist, and he said, don't get so excited. Get excited! This is God's plan. Don't sit there and stare back at me like I'm a nut. Put as much effort into this plan of God's as that you put into the silly things that you do in your life. Bless God. I can't help but to get excited about this. Do you understand that I am a horrible sinner? A horrible sinner who was going to hell. But God made a way through Jesus. God made a way through Jesus. 
Well, my cardiologist is upset with me right now. God made a way through Jesus. And it has to be the most important thing in your life. And if it is, even on Sundays when I can't hardly speak and I'm monotone and it's about to put you to sleep, you can look at those verses right there and be excited about it. It's awful to think that we come and we sit in this place and we just, well, let's punch our clock. Well, if he don't hurry up, the Methodists are going to beat us to the buffet. Jesus had a plan. And that plan is for you to live in victory. Just as these people here in Judges chapter 20, what are you trying to overcome? There are people in this, in this congregation right now, you're trying to overcome things in your marriage that you see as hopeless. You're trying to overcome things in your finances that you see as hopeless. You're trying to overcome addictions. You're trying to overcome uh, the human frailties that are holding you down. And right here in, the, in verse number 56, 57 of, Corinth, of that same chapter in Corinthians, here's what it says. It says this. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You've got victory in Jesus. Oh, victory in Jesus. I sure ain't going to sing. Oh, victory in Jesus. Jesus said, I've overcome. You're going to have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. And you can, you can just listlessly go through life and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a Christian. But you look just like the world. You look no different than the world. You live no different than the world. The things of the world are more important. Micah shared a, a sermon with me this week from John Maxwell. One of the best sermons that I've ever watched. And my illustration is gone for that sermon. Somewhere there's an envelope with $220 in cash in it. Is my well, there it is. That right there. Going right there. I have a 16-year-old and a 19-year-old. I am at the most expensive point that I never realized life could be this expensive. I need that money right there. I need it. But guess what? My hand is empty now. And you know what I'm saying? God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. You're going to put that back in my hand. You're going to put more in my hand, and I'm going to be able to give more because here's what, I, here's what, here's what we're praying and fasting about through these next 21 days. We're praying and fasting about missions. We're praying and fasting about about being able to go and plant more churches in more places. We started with one church in a place, and it's grown to three. I'd love to see it someday multiplying to 12. And here's the attitude of some people. Well, there's plenty to do here in Piedmont. Well, why ain't you doing it? 
Well, I don't know why they get on them planes and go over there and witness to us. There's plenty of people. How many of them have you witnessed to? How many of them have you told about Jesus? Hmm. Pray in these next 21 days. Pray about what you're giving to the Lord. Pray and fast over it. Because we live, listen, I've been a Christian for one generation, and I have watched the, I have watched the slide of the church dramatically. Think about, think about the church that your children and grandchildren, think, here's what I want to tell you. We're one generation away from none of them being here. None of them. We have got to get serious about this call that God has on our lives. We have got to become completely serious and dedicated to it. And, and here's where I wanted to get to. And I went around the world and didn't mean to. But 21 day, for the next 21 days, I'm asking you to disconnect from the world for a spiritual purpose. I'm asking you, there's a, there's a handout in your worship guide. And it has 21 different prayers that we want to pray. Over these next, oh, 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 over there, it's right there. Now, as I said earlier, I'm not asking you to give completely give up food for 21 days and pray, but I am asking you at some points during this time, during these 21 days, to pray, to disconnect from the world and to pray. Now, there's different kinds of fasts. There's a complete fast. There's one where we drink only liquids, water. Maybe with some light juices. That's a complete fast. Um, there's a selective fast, maybe like a Daniel fast, where you remove certain elements from your diet. Um, it's there um, on, the, on the slide. There's a partial fast, where you abstain from food in the mornings and evenings, maybe as these people did from 6 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon. And then there's a soul fast, the S-O-U-L fast, where you... You may have some health issues that keep you from fasting, but you refocus certain areas of your life. You, you may give up social media or television, something like that, and during that time that you give those things up, you pray and fast over, over those things. Now, if you want more, go to the Church of the Highlands. It's where that Micah and I got this from. And just click on their prayer ministry, and it will lead you to these things. But I'm asking you for the next 21 days, it would have been easy here if the warriors in Israel had just gone out and fasted and prayed. But all of the people went and prayed. And I'm asking all of you to pray. And I'm asking you to take these 21 days and these things, and I'm asking you to pray over them. And I'm asking you, that as you pray, you pray every day intentionally for the souls of this city. For the, the people in this city who don't know Jesus. And the people of this city to come and for this church to be a light shining that reflects Jesus. And shows people the power of the gospel and transform lives. That's what I'm asking you to do. And I'm asking you to begin this tomorrow, but I'm asking you now to begin this morning to pray. I'm asking as many of you as will will come here to this altar this morning and to pray about beginning this and about going through this together. I say I'll be here tonight to preach. I've 
I may have to do sign language. I don't know, but I'll be here in some capacity, and we'll pray again if you want to. But I'm asking you to begin to pray. And I want to tell you that what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 is still true today, that Jesus went to a cross and died for your sins, gave his life for you so that he could be the atonement for your sins one time. And he can make that sacrifice for you because you can't make it for yourself. And that you can come and repent of your sins and turn and go in a different direction and follow Jesus for the rest of your life. That's open for every man, woman, boy, or girl who ever walked the face of this earth. And I'm telling you this morning, if that's you, then come. If you're here this morning and you saw Dana go through these chilly waters of baptism, you may want to walk, you may want to, I'll try to heat the water for you. You may want to follow in believer's baptism, or you may want to join this church and say, I want to be a part of what's happening here. Whatever it is that you need to do, do it this morning. But I'm asking you also to come and pray about these matters. Father, as we stand, Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for life and liberty. Thank you for everything that you do for us, God. Thank you for healing. Thank you for victory. And over these next 21 days, dear God, we're praying for victory. We're praying for victory in people's lives. And we're praying that through these things, you will strengthen us as a church. You will grow us as, as spiritually. And you will send us into this city. And you will send us into this nation. And you'll send us around the world. And that people will come to know Jesus through our testimony and through our life. And Father, may we understand, as, as Mike and I have both said this morning, that every battle that we face, we have to face on our knees, surrendering to Jesus and allowing him to work through us. Father, this morning, while we sing and while we worship, I pray that many would come this morning to pray and to say, I'm surrendering, God, and, and I want to know your will for my life. In Jesus' name, amen.